Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the world headquarters of common sense for yet another glorious day of telling it like it is and cutting through the nonsense of the world we find ourselves in. Because don't forget, out there you will find plenty of people telling you how awful it all is. You'll find plenty of people telling you how not to look forward to Christmas. You'll find loads of people telling you it's all about Brexit, you know. The world has come to a complete end. It's all going to blow up in our faces and it's all our fault, apparently, here at Talk Radio and, of course, also in the Tory party. Once again, there's talk of dire consequences, empty shelves, jam-packed ports, catastrophic flooding. I mean, what is wrong with these people? Why is establishment Britain chock full of people who constantly want to warn everyone about terrible things that are about to happen to us? Since when did we become a country frightened of our own shadows? This morning, I will be once more assuring you that all that none of these mad theories will ever come true. Already we're hearing this morning that the deadlock that supposedly forced a couple of ports in Britain to turn away ships because they had no capacity to unload their goods has been fixed. So there's no need to worry that toys and electrical goods aren't going to be available for Christmas. But so what if they weren't? Maybe you could do something else. Maybe you could buy your kids some books. Maybe you could buy your kids a bicycle. Maybe you could buy your kids something else to have instead of a toy. Maybe instead of buying yourself the latest iPad, you could buy yourself something different. For heaven's sake. Meanwhile, of course, the European Union is preparing to surrender on Northern Ireland and give up their dream of custom checks forever uh, on the uh, soft border uh, between the Republic and the North. So there's another reason to celebrate that. Uh, up first this morning, we'll be taking the temperature of the nation with Andrew Bridget MP. If you've got questions for him, you know what to do. 03444991000. Ben Habib is here as well uh, with his take on why the EU has finally seen sense, despite a promise not to surrender the right to invoke European court rulings if anything goes wrong. And Tonya Buxton is going to be with us in the studio with news from the front line of resistance against the ever-increasing governmental nonsense about masks, vaccines, control. When is it all going to end, was my question. 03444991000. Mike Yardley will bring us up to date on his situation. He's still recovering from a terrible reaction to the COVID jab, uh, but he also brings us his thoughts on how we heal our divided nation. Because I think as we do get closer into the winter months and into Christmas, why not talk about why we should be more together than we should be separated? Plus, we'll be asking whether a court case involving spy cameras outside your neighbour's door could lead you to making a claim for compensation. Will Geddes will fill us in on that. And as ever, we need to hear from you out there in the big wide world. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? And what are you doing? Are the shelves empty? Are you panicking? Has life returned to normal? Have you got a full tank of petrol? Stop worrying, people. It's not a problem. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome to the world headquarters of Common Sense. And I have to tell you that never before uh, in the field of human conflict have we needed more common sense. Because so many people now seem to be absolutely determined to frighten the bejesus out of you, to frighten the hell out of you, to tell you what you won't be able to buy, how you won't be able to go anywhere, why you won't be able to get a a train, why you won't be able to buy a car, why you won't be able to do anything at all that you would like to do. Why? Because nobody's going to let you and we're going to run out of absolutely everything. For heaven's sake, it's not the way things are. Let's talk to Andrew Bridging, Conservative MP for North West Leicestershire. Andrew, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Now, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I'm very optimistic about Christmas. I'm very optimistic about uh, what's coming up in the next few weeks. I'm not listening to these doom mongers who keep telling me we're going to run out of toilet roll and pasta and petrol and everything else. What's your take on it all? Well, I've actually been to the supermarket early this morning to get a few items for the week, and uh, the, the shelves are fully stocked. And uh, There's the thing. You know, what a surprise, same as it was the last time I went uh, a week ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I keep reading these stories in newspapers about how we're running out of stuff, and I don't have, the last two days I've been asking people to ring in to show me uh, and tell me that they can't find various things in supermarkets, and not one person has, because they can't. Well, I, I couldn't find anything I couldn't find. Um, so, um, but I mean, I, I remember probably about... Um, 15 years ago, being at the same supermarket, and there was a, a wild rumour going around that, that there was going to be a sugar shortage. And uh, I, I only use about one bag of sugar a year. 
uh, in a bit of cooking. Right. Um, and I went around the supermarkets and everyone had bought two bags of sugar. And sure enough, when I got around to where the sugar was, and I didn't want to buy any anyway, there wasn't any, but everyone had got two, you know, two years supply in their shopping trolleys. And supply chains work on just in time. And that's the normal demand. If everyone goes out and buys an extra loaf of bread this morning that they don't need, that they'll throw in the bin in three days time, um, we'll be out of bread this this afternoon, no doubt. Yes. But, but the media love a uh, love love a, uh, a crisis. It's uh, it sells newspapers and it gets people watching the news. And I think I think the the public are in a vulnerable psychological position. I think COVID has affected uh, the, the national psyche, and it's probably made people more prone to this sort of scaremongering. Yeah. I mean, I don't wish to particularly single out one particular newspaper, but on one front of one paper this morning, backlog at biggest port forces ships to turn away. Britain faces Christmas shortages, industry says. So I think the industries are not helping this matter either, because I see uh, some quite greedy people when I look out there uh, in the big wide world, because I reckon some of these industries have worked out, if you complain uh, that you're under pressure because of the supply chain problems, the government's going to bail you out, and they're going to give you a loan so that you can continue to do business without having to spend any of your own money. And then we've got uh, Britain faces catastrophic consequences of climate change uh, and we're going to have terrible catastrophic flooding according to somebody called emma howard boyd uh, who is some kind of environmental expert well i, I think one of the overplaying of the uh, so-called climate emergency um i think it, it doesn't take into account the uh, the resilience and the uh innovative nature of of the public and uh, our scientists We've faced lots of challenges uh, in, historically. We're still here uh, and we'll get through this. But I mean, the, the fact that you, you read statistics that say that, uh, you know, a third of uh, under 16s are lying in bed worrying that, you know, they've got no future because of this climate emergency. Um, it's it's very, very irresponsible reporting, quite honestly. And again, it's, it's all part of this. Everything has to be a crisis. It was yeah. the Brexit crisis and... And then it's the COVID crisis, and now it's another crisis. Um, they need to take responsibility, really, for the fear-mongering that they're, they're putting out there. Uh, it's very, very disappointing. As I say, I think that the public are generally, post-COVID, uh, psychologically more vulnerable to this yeah. sort of scaremongering. And, and you can you could start a, a shortage scare about absolutely anything. It's yeah. on the front of two newspapers. Right, exactly right. And we seem to have moved away from the sort of the scaring about COVID into the scaring about other things, which worries me slightly and worries a lot of people uh, who listen to this show and also who, who are guests on this show too. Because as we move into winter, we're already now starting to hear the noises about, you know, uh, whether we're going to be able to cope, whether the NHS is going to collapse, whether we're going to have too many cases of either flu or COVID and, you know, well, how are we going to handle it? You know, I don't, I don't know when we became so kind of pessimistic. Well, the fact is that given the level of vaccination in this country and boosters now going out to, to the vulnerable, um, if, if we can't cope in this country uh, with COVID and, and learn to live with it, uh, there is no hope for anybody else around the world because we've got some of the highest vaccination rates um, that, that have been witnessed around the world. So there is no hope for anyone if we, we can't get, uh, get through this. But again, it's it's uh, it's the media jumping on absolutely everything. And you, your listeners might note that we actually had no deaths from flu whatsoever in the last 18 months. They've, they've all been COVID. So well, now flu's come back, apparently. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not sure I'm, I'm fully on board with that scenario because uh, I think there may, <laughs> there may well have been people who died from flu, but apparently uh, they didn't count as people dying from flu. They got counted as something else. Uh, in, indeed. Uh, in, indeed. So... Uh, I think um, we're, we're not being told everything, uh, and, and a lot of what the public are being told is is disinformation. Quite honestly, yeah, um, we need to to, to get on, um, keep calm, and carry on. Mark. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. And whenever you come on this show, Andrew, people are always very dismissive. Well, not very many people, but some people are dismissive of how sort of blasé you are. But it's not about being blasé, in my view. It's about just being confident about the country we live in. It's about being confident that the government, no matter what they may have got wrong in the past, and we'll come on to that in a minute, um, you know, is certainly the best government for us to have right now because we certainly wouldn't want, well, Keir, just, we certainly just, wouldn't just, want just Keir Starmer look. driving the lorry, would you? Well, you wouldn't. Uh, not, not the way he reversed into that uh, 
into that bollard. I mean, uh, talk about captain liability. I mean, I thought he was supposed to be Captain Einstein. He's not very good at looking in his rear view mirror, is he? It was not. He wasn't very good at reversing. No, no. <laughs> for Captain Hindsight, he was no good at reversing whatsoever. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I mean. We are in a place, I think, which which some people would say needs to be stewarded slightly better, though, by Boris Johnson. I've got absolutely no problem with him being away on holiday for a week. I think it's fine. He should deserves a holiday. He's had a hard old time. You know, that's all fine and dandy. But is there not a case to be made where he should be being a bit more, um, shall we say, strategic and telling us a bit more and leading us a bit more rather than sort of waiting for somebody to ask him a question about something that he should have already talked about? I think the government have... Um been completely blinkered by dealing with uh, COVID. Mm. Um, but anyone that thinks that because the, you know, because Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, is on holiday in Marbella, that his phone switched off, um, that is certainly not not the case. He'll be he'll be briefed every day about what's what's going on, and he'll be making decisions that would pass back to the government. But you are right. Um, now that we're we're coming out of uh, the, the COVID situation, um, I think there has been uh, a blinkered approach. I think. There were very foreseeable uh, problems on the horizon. I've been talking about the lorry driver issue for six years. Mm. Um, it was quite satisfying to debate it with Anna Subri uh, on the media uh, a couple of weeks ago. And when I went to government in 2015 and suggested when we brought out the uh, apprentice scheme that we needed to get lorry drivers into that mm. because we were 50,000 lorry drivers short in 2015, um, it was interesting that uh, in the live debate, Anna Subri uh, was against me and she passed me to, uh, she was the business minister at the time that I went to, she passed me to Nick Bowles, another Remainer, yeah. who was in charge of apprenticeships. And they said, no, we'll just uh, basically, we'll just keep bringing them in from the European Union. Well, that didn't go so well, did it? But I mean, we're, we're now 100,000 lorry drivers short, but there are 120,000 lorry drivers short in Poland. That's because historically we've taken them all. Yeah. Um, and, and when I speak to lorry drivers, I mean, we, we're not actually short of lorry drivers. You know, we've got twice as many people who are qualified to drive lorries, obviously not including uh, Keir Starmer, who's not qualified to drive a lorry. He demonstrated that. What is he qualified? Easily. Is he qualified to do anything? Yeah, we're certainly not qualified to drive the country. Um, <laughs> so when I speak to them, there's, there's twice as many qualified lorry drivers as are in the industry. They've yeah. all had a go, uh, but they found themselves better jobs. And, I, you know, I don't want to be crude, but when I speak to someone in their 50s who's a qualified lorry driver now working in a, in a maintenance workshop as a mechanic instead, and he says, Andrew, I don't, you know, I've done that having to go to the toilet in, in behind yeah. a hedge. I don't want to do that anymore. No. Yeah, no, listen, that, I've, over the past the sort of over the, over the past month or so, Andrew, I've been talking to a lot of lorry drivers and a lot of people who were lorry drivers. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why they're no longer doing it. Uh, some of the reasoning is to do with the conditions. And I've seen pictures of some of the places they have to go to when they're waiting to pick up hauls. Uh, uh, and it's horrendous looking. Some of it's due to uh, HMRC, uh, who have brought in this IR35 nonsense and said to them, you're going to have to pay a lot more tax if you're going to be pretending to be a freelance. Some of it's due to the DVLA, who still seem to be uh, unable to produce uh, a renewed driving licence for an HGV driver within 10 months. And some of it is due to the fact that, you know, they simply have got, as you say, fed up with it and they've found a better job. Yes, um, I'm a qualified transport manager myself, and I've seen the and a third of all the jobs in Northwest Leicester are distribution or, or logistics related because mm. we're in the very centre centre of the country. At the at the end of the day, it's a very very responsible job. There's a lot of uh, paperwork involved in it. There's a lot of compliance, obviously, with regulations because you know we pay we pay a doctor or a surgeon a lot of money because his hands are in your life when you're on that operating table mm. quite rightly well when you're on the motorway and someone's driving an articulated lorry next to you your life is in their hands as well and that's a very responsible job the lorry and the cargo could be worth hundreds of thousands of pounds and uh, i think they're worth more than 12 pounds an hour yes i think that's right and if brexit and the brexit dividend is to make sure that people are paid more money than they were before because there's no longer cheap uh, European labour in this country, then surely that's a good thing. But should we have been more ready and more prepared to take this on before we kind of had a bit of a uh, crisis? We, 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 we should have been, but I think the government's eye was taken off the ball uh, by COVID. And obviously we've, we've had a, a, a recession due to 
COVID. We have a contraction of the of the economy due to uh, the lockdown measures. And the spring back from that, what we're actually seeing now is the highest economic growth this country's ever had during my or your lifetime. Yeah. And those pains uh, puts a lot of pressure uh, on, on the system. In a way, it's a nice problem to have because, you know, already em employment's back to levels that we saw before the pandemic. And there are huge opportunities out there for people who aren't in employment to move into employment because we've stopped the unlimited unskilled migration from across the yeah. channel. And right. um, we're going to see part of the levelling up agenda is that we're going to see what were traditionally seen as undesirable blue collar jobs uh, are going to be remunerated uh, at a better level hmm. because that's what the market decides their jobs worth when you take away the constant influx of, uh, of EU migrants. Yeah. And isn't it funny that the so-called sort of um, what I call laptop classes are all, you know, sort of moaning and groaning and bumping their gums because they can't get, you know, the cheap au pair to come in and look after their children uh, or, you know, the cheap tutor to come in and teach their kids French. I mean, I find the hypocrisy quite remarkable. Or, or the cheap or the cheap garment to come around and, and cut their lawns for them. Um, no, and that, that's reality. The marketplace is the marketplace and people will have to be paid the job, what the job's worth in the marketplace we're in. And without, I mean, people have realised that, um, that that was depressing wages in this yeah. country. And we need to move. I mean, obviously, the, also, the more you pay people, uh, the better management that, that they get. And the faster the returns on automation to help improve the productivity of that job, we're going to need to move from a, a low-wage, low-productivity economy, which we've been in part due to unlimited migration of uh, unskilled and semi-skilled mm. workers from the EU for decades, into a high-wage, high-productivity um, economy. And it's okay saying, well, you know, every time we let someone into the country, they're not only a worker, that they'll probably have dependents, and they're going to they're going to be consumers themselves. So they're going to need a house. They're going to need to go to the doctors. They're going to need they're going to consume things. So the GDP of the country grows, um, but the real measure of the wealth of the country actually is the GDP per capita, how much we're generating per person. That's about the real wealth of the country, and that's been pretty static uh, for for a very long time. Mm. And that's what we're going to see increasing now. Okay, stay with us, Andrew, if you can. I've got a couple of other questions for you, a couple of other issues I want to raise with you. Andrew Bridges is here with us, Conservative MP for North West and Leicestershire. If you've got questions for him, put them to me. I'll put them to him. This is how democracy works. This is Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Andrew Bridgen, Conservative MP for North West Leicestershire. Now, Andrew, I've had a, a recurring request from um, uh, a listener of ours uh, who's down in Dungeness. Kim is her name, and she's been watching uh, with some alarm the numbers of uh, illegal migrants coming onto the beaches of the southeast coast of this country. Um, many of them are the people that we don't even know about. They just literally get off a boat, walk into town and never to be seen again. But she's apparently been trying to get out of Damien Collins, uh, MP, what it is about the bill which is being put through, supposedly in this term, um, and, and she's getting the impression that it's not going through in this term, which is going to make it more difficult for these guys to come here. Is it the case that that bill uh, in question that the Home Office and Pretty Patel are trying to put together is not going to be put voted upon until uh, basically the spring? Well, I've spoke to colleagues about this. Um, obviously, the bill has to go through the Houses of Parliament. That's both houses. Right. Um, I suspect that the it's going to get held up in the House of Lords. Um, and the suspicion is that we're not going to be able to um, pass it through both houses um, probably until February. So, yes, that that is unfortunately democracy. And... Uh, not everyone's uh, on the side of the people, unfortunately. No. I mean, I what possible reason could the House of Lords have for holding it up? Um, the House of Lords is not under Conservative control. Um, we do not have a majority of the, the votes in the House of Lords. Um, you'll remember that Nick Clegg, uh, when we were in the coalition government 2010 to 2015, in return for everything he, that, that the Conservative Party wanted or government wanted from him, in the coalition, all he wanted was more members of the House of Lords. And I think there's something like 103 or 106 Liberal Democrats completely out of 
proportion yeah. to uh, their representation in the elected house um and um we have no majority so it's going to be it's going to be difficult mm. um so it will be down to probably ping pong and uh, they'll will keep debating it and rejecting it to their their yeah. amendments is there anything in the uh, in the sort of the queen's speech coming up that will give us some sucker and hope that maybe the house of lords could finally be properly uh, actually reformed well i think um, i think dominic Raab's laid his turf out quite rightly that we're going to need radical reform of the uh, of the convention on human rights basically these people coming across the channel uh, they are economic migrants yeah. they're they're in a safe country they're choosing not to seek asylum or residency in in france and indeed i, I can't believe they got to france without passing through other countries where they should have claimed uh, asylum oh. uh, they're just uh, targeting the uk as the preferred destination well, i mean mike if, if we if we gave in to what the Labour Party want, and probably the Liberal Democrats to a, to a point, that anybody who in the world who wanted to come to this country should be allowed to, to come in, um, well, I mean, they'd only stop coming when we were in a worse state than the right. place they were leaving. Well, exactly. And I mean, Boris Johnson made it very clear, I thought, in his conference speech, where he said, look, we're quite happy to have people come to this country and contribute to uh, the economy, but we need to know, one, who they are, and two, why they're coming. I mean, it's not unreasonable, is it? I mean, it's like asking people uh, to check into a hotel and, and also, without showing also, any means of being able to pay for it. And also, these people coming in boats, entering the UK uh, illegally, they're completely undermining the uh, the people who play the game and yeah. apply through normal channels. It's it's basically like trying to queue jump. Uh, and I mean, if it was up to me, I'd be putting forward legislation that says that anyone who enters the country illegally um, has got will, will never get uh, UK citizenship and should be deported. Yeah, I don't think there's any problem with that whatsoever. Final question is from Jane, who's texted into eight seven triple two. Mike, could you just please ask Andrew if he's congratulated Matt Hancock on his new job, <laughs> working for the UN apparently. Well, apparently he was offered the job and he has considerable experience in, in, in government and he certainly has, um, he would he would have some skills to offer Africa uh, in, in terms of, of healthcare. Um, he's clearly not going to be coming back into the into the government for a while and I suppose it's, it is a use if they think that he has the skills that they want. Why, why shouldn't he be allowed to go and do that? Okay. Very well said uh, and very diplomatic of you, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed. Andrew Bridgen, MP there, Conservative MP for North West and Leicestershire, uh, talking about a great many things, including uh, the dinghies and the illegal migrants and the fact that this is probably not going to be solved anytime soon. Forget what Priti Patel said uh, at the, late, uh, the Conservative Party conference. This bill uh, in question, which is supposed to make it much more difficult for them to come, is not going to even probably be put through Parliament until the spring. It's now October, so we're talking November, December, January, February, March. What's the betting? Uh, you'll be lucky to see it by Easter. That's a problem for me. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, you might have watched the football last night. You may or may not have bothered to watch the football last night. By all accounts, it wasn't a particularly brilliant game. Uh, it was England 1, Hungary 1. The highlight of it all, uh, and probably not the right word that, probably the low light of it all, uh, was the crowd. Because, as ever, uh, the Hungarian uh, fans came uh, and caused a bit of trouble. Now, unfortunately for the Hungarian fans, I'm sure they're not all uh, horrible, nasty people, but some of them definitely are. But one of the problems with what happened at Wembley last night was, as you can see if you're watching on our television screen right now, the police basically cowered in fear in front of a bunch of thugs from Hungary. You can see them walking backwards. You can see them sort of attempting to wave sticks at them. But basically, you can see the mob of Hungarian thugs marching upon the police advancing upon the police and basically chasing them out of the stadium to the point where they end up running down the back stairs. I mean, are the police in this country fit for purpose in any way, shape or form? They're very good at roughing up anti-vax demonstrations. They're very good at roughing up people that they don't like. But when it comes to actually fighting off football thugs, they don't seem to know quite what to do or how to do it. I mean, Cressida Dick, I'm sorry, she should be out anyway. Plank of the Week features Cressida Dick, you might not be surprised to know. And here's another example of how the Metropolitan Police in this country, in this day and age, wearing little caps and sort of waving, you know, um, nightsticks around, are just hopeless. I mean, if you can't 
go into a crowd of football hooligans and arrest a few people and drag them out and not really worrying particularly whether they hurt themselves on the way down the stairs. What is the point? What is the point? I ask you. A man that knows a thing or two about security at big events is Will Geddes. He's here with us now. Will, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I don't know whether you've seen that video, Will, but it seems an incredible um, lack of perspicacity and a lack of kind of measure from the police. Uh, they don't seem to know how to deal with the crowd. Yeah, this was a really interesting one. I, I've seen only a bit of footage on it, Mike, this morning. And from what I can see, very, very heavy handed tactics. Um, quite often, certainly with the policing of games, you've got a number of different security components. You obviously have the police, you have stewards, and you also have the stadium security. Right. Um, but what I could see here was, you know, you try and isolate a particular group if they're troublesome or they're going to cause some chaos. Uh, and you try and deal with it as discreetly as possible because, you know, you're going to have a lot of families that are going to games right. and uh, they don't want to see this kind of uh, violence going on and no. certainly not batons being waved about and beating people up. Right. But the point is that the police, surely, if they are going to do that, they need to make it happen. They need to make it work. They need to go, right, here's the thing. Uh, we're going to go in and get those four guys and we're going to pull them out. And they should have some strategy for doing that. What I don't want to see is the police effectively being chased away. Yeah, no, that wasn't impressive, was it? Um, I mean, certainly in terms of, you know, the police morale, it seems to be almost every day now, Mike. Mm. We're hearing a bad story about the police. Uh, and there's some serious wake-up calls here that they've got to deal with these things decisively. Uh. They've got to go in manage it, manage any kind of threat and, and remove it from everybody else that could potentially be affected by it. So running away, not really the best tactic. It really, it really doesn't really inspire confidence. It really doesn't, no. But listen, the real reason we got you on here this morning, Will, is to talk about what I find to be a quite fascinating case. A woman uh, is apparently claiming that her next door neighbour's camera uh, doorbell scenario uh, has somehow broken her uh, data protection um, um, privacy law and she's actually suing for some kind of compensation she's basically saying that because his smart doorbell cameras show what she's doing that somehow um, she is being a victim or being portrayed as a victim here um, and it could it could mean that if you've got one of these cameras uh, you're in trouble well, it means that you've got to be careful if you've got your cameras and she may have a very good case. It seems that she does in this instance. However, I don't think necessarily the homeowner, the person who owns the cameras, was intending to invade on her privacy. No. But I'm not a huge fan of Internet of Things, Mike, as you know. Mm. Uh, I've talked about this with you uh, both on the show, but also personally about it. And it's something that we've got to be very careful about. And when mm. it comes to CCTV, whether it be your ring doorbell, your nest, or whether it be a hardwired sort of CCTV system, you've got to make sure that you don't intrude on other people's privacy. Right. Now, the problem with Ring is that you can listen live to it, as you can with most CCTV cameras, right. but especially with Ring, it's an affordable option. So she may have good reasons to feel that she is being overheard, eavesdropped, spied on, because it wasn't just the doorbell. This guy had a lot of Ring camera devices around his home yeah. and on the, on, the, on the corners of it. And so is it more about what he can hear rather than what he can see, or is it both? It's both, Mike. Right. It's both. So, you know, if you are putting CCTV around your house and that, you know, maybe to protect your car as it was that this, uh, this particular individual says it was in right. his instance, you've got to make sure that the view of the camera doesn't intrude or invade into other people's property. So certainly not looking into other people's windows, right. not even encroaching into their gardens or their property line. And, you know, one of the things that you have to be considerate to is if they're kind of covert or they're hidden cameras, you need to have some kind of sticker in your window or signage that just alerts people. And I mean, and that in itself is a good um, deterrent, certainly to any kind of criminal. Yes, no, I think that's true. Because the, the facts of the matter here is that a judge has actually found uh, that John Woodward's use of his cameras did break data laws and did amount to harassment uh, of this woman who happens to be a doctor. And she claimed she was forced to move out. But she could be getting 100,000 quid out of this. Well, she could be, yeah, but I think it's this is kind of a case example which this judge wants to push forward. You know, these ring dev devices, which are now owned by Amazon, uh, are incredibly and increasingly popular. They're they're very easy, very cheap, and and they do uh, act as a very good security measure. I'm not I'm not dissuading people using them. I think they are smart and they are good. However, it's about misuse, and it's also about ensuring that you are not using it beyond the requirements or the agenda of why you've installed them. No, quite, absolutely right. So, I mean, I dare say there'll be a few ambulance-chasing lawyers who may or may not be known to you and I who will be jumping on this particular bandwagon. 
Yeah, every possibility. So, I mean, if if any of the viewers and the, the listeners have actually got ring doorbells or if they've got those peripheral devices, those additional cameras, not mm. the ones just on their doors, but the cameras which are on the outside of their buildings, have a good look at those cameras through your live view on your app, on your device, uh, whether that be your computer or your phone for that matter, uh, and have a look and see whether it is intruding into your neighbor's space. If mm. it is, then you need to get a step letter out this uh, this evening and just adjust it and uh, and make sure, or even just mention to your neighbors and say, look, I'm really conscious I'm not intruding on your privacy. Right. I will adjust my cameras accordingly. But make sure you write that in an email so you've got an audit trail to show that you are uh, doing the best you possibly can. Exactly right. And presumably the manufacturers of these devices will perhaps think about how they now sell them because presumably they're going to have to talk people through all that and say, look, we're going to have to set them up in such a way that you don't see something you shouldn't or that you don't uh, uh, lay yourself open for this kind of problem. Yeah, no, I haven't actually been on uh, Ring's uh, website this morning, but I would imagine being a big enough company owned by Amazon that they will have a section, albeit it's probably not that easy to find, which talks about in the installation process, the things you've got to be considerate for. Mm. Now, that will adjust and alter around the world. We have very different privacy laws, for example, Mike, here than we do in the United States, as you know. So uh, we need to adapt it accordingly. So just be sensible. I mean, for, for companies that are using Ring, uh, you, particularly the cameras, which are the peripherals, not just the doorbell, you know, they need to have signage up. Certainly if they have visitors to that building that says we have CCTV in operation. We, we're kind of blind to it these days, but in most places that have it, there is a legal requirement to have that in place. OK, good stuff. Will, thank you very much indeed for your help. We'll get a security expert there. If you've got one of these cameras, you might want to check it out and make sure uh, that your neighbour's not going to hit you up for a £100,000 bill uh, because that would be a very unfortunate Christmas present that would not come early or be very welcome, would it? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Tonya Buxton is here. Very good morning, morning to you. Good morning to you. How the too. devil are you? I'm good. And I'm I, feeling I, feisty I, I, today. I'm uplifted by your words. Good. I feel like I'm ready to, to do a yeah. positive battle. Let's, let's, you know what? Lawrence Fox was here yesterday, right? He came in to do planks, which you'll be back doing very shortly. Um, and I said, and we went for a drink afterwards. I said, it feels like we're in the resistance. Yeah. It feels it does. like you're fighting this kind of battle every day against the doom and the gloom and the people who say that, well, you don't know anything. What do you know? I mean, you're always getting it, aren't you? Oh, my Why goodness. are you talking about stuff? Why am I you're just a stuff? chef. I'm just a cook. What right. do I know? Nothing to do with the fact that I've got to the grand old age of 53. I have four children. I've had four different types of right. jobs, which included being a school teacher in Tottenham. Um, all the information I read more than anything. One yeah. of the main things is, is, you know, if I was going to go in for a knee operation, Mike, I would get cons a consultant to tell me a couple of consultants. Yeah. And from the from what the two consultants is, I would make my decisions about exactly. my life, my children, my body. Right. We can't do that anymore. No. You have to have a degree in science and it's got to be the right science as Except, well. Yeah, but the weird thing is, is it's people who don't have any of that, but who say, well, you have to listen to the experts. And you go, well, which experts are they? Exactly. Like Neil Ferguson who actually studied physics and is now teaching us about viruses, which he knows nothing about, teaching us about medicine, which he knows nothing about, making rules about how we should behave, which he also knows nothing about. I completely agree with you. And the thing is, I was when this, when this report came out, the health science, health, whatever, committee whatever. report came yeah. out, you know, you're reading it and you're trying really, really hard not to let your blood pressure go up uh -huh. because it, it's a complete whitewash. Mm. They've completely ignored what has caused the huge amount of damage that's happened, not just in Britain, but across the world, apart from a few places, right. you know, like Sweden, Florida and Texas. They've completely ignored the kind of uh, the worldwide evidence that shows that lockdowns do not work. Right. It was lockdowns that did the damage. And they've not said that. They're, they're, and the whole British media, apart from this station... And and a couple of television stations, uh, one particular television station, have 
not ask any of the questions apart from why didn't you lock down earlier? Yeah. I mean, that question... That's their only conclusion, isn't it? That question makes me want to just go insane. I mean, don't you understand? That's what did the damage. Yeah. The people that are dying now of underdiagnosed and untreated cancers mm. and a whole plethora of illnesses... Mm. Are, they are dying because of lockdown. Yeah. The I know parents, as you know, some of the people that I, when I go on the protest with, are mothers that, who have lost their children yeah. through suicide during lockdown. Mm. Lockdown caused that, not And they COVID. talk about mental health uh, as an issue for teenagers as if the two things are not connected. Oh, yeah, we've got an epidemic of uh, problem, problematic mental health with teenagers. Well, why do you think that might be? Oh, my goodness. The you know? tsunami of mental health that we have across the board, adults, but in particular are young and not just teenagers, because the teenagers are ones that you're seeing now. Yeah. This has mentally affected young children, and we won't see the effects of that for years. Right. And lockdown did that. Mm. Lockdown did that because lockdown made people stay at home. It made abused women have to stay yeah. inside with their abusers. Yeah. Abused children have to stay in and have no safe space. They had to stay home with people that were abusing or neglecting or treating them cruelly. Lockdown did it. Mm. Why has no one asked that question? Why has there not been a cost-benefit analysis about lockdown? Yes. And there really has to be, and we'll just have to keep asking for it and keep pushing for it, because when the real inquiry happens, because it's not the real, a real one, Absolutely. that's when they ha are going to have to actually address all they that. They have to answer these questions. They can't just keep whitewashing everything. They really can't. And you know that I am in a situation where I have two sides of the family. I have my mum, who is now just tumbling into dementia, and it, lockdown did that. Is she still having treatment for cancer? My mother-in-law is Sorry, in, in yes. hospital. Yeah, my mother and my mother-in-law on the on the other side is 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 yes, she's still having treatment, and all of this, all the suffering that she's having at the moment is purely due to the fact that her doctor was one of the really really negligent GPs. Yeah. There's some amazing GPs, and I know amazing GPs, yes. so I'm not. This is not all at them, but there are some really vile, mm. negligent, awful GPs, yes. and she is in this predicament because her GP would not see her for mm. six months. I had just a call having yesterday. Phone consultations. I had a call yesterday from a, a man who was talking. He didn't want to reveal exactly who it was that was his relative, but it was his relative's child who was born basically with a hole in the heart and they didn't know for a year because the child was never examined. Unbelievable. Right? And now the child has to have un undergo open heart surgery. He's got, he's got three holes in his heart, which he's had for a year. And he's lucky he's still alive. Very lucky to be alive. And and, and it's just horrific it's that enough, this is, is the case that you can't get seen. And even now you go into you go into hospitals and you're only allowed to go and visit someone. It doesn't matter how sick they are or what's going on, you're only allowed to go in and visit them twice a week. Mm. So they are sitting alone and they are getting successively worse mm. because the whole thing about, especially when you've got an illness like something like cancer or something, you need visitors to rise your spirits, to give you hope. And you can only have someone visit you for two hours twice a week. Yeah. And it's got to be the same person as well. A nominated individual. A nomin and yeah. how, where is this coming from? Where, right. Oh, is COVID not flu? Right. Why are they continuing yes. this? And this is where, you know, when I've had people within the NHS, so people working on the ground within the NHS, I've come across some absolutely amazing people. But whoever's coming up with this middle... Well, I spent sent a, a very imploring letter to the matron of this particular mm. ward. And I just got a standard, nope, it's COVID, this is what we've got to do, we've got to save lives. Yeah. But you're killing someone I know right. by this process. And also this still nonsensical kind of, I know this is far less important, but yet still for the country's sake important, you know, civil servants who are all working from home. Oh, outrageous. I was at a, a, a do last night in Canary Wharf talking to some old colleagues from the newspaper business, right? And I'm not going to mention the paper, but they're basically, they have said, the management of the company have said, we're never having you back in the office, ever. And I'm going, sorry? What? What, you're going to run a newspaper, which is already in pretty serious decline? Yep. Without having anybody here, and they sit and they've just accepted it, and they're going, "Oh, it's quite good, really." And I'm like, "What? Why wouldn't I mean newspaper newsrooms? I don't know if you've ever been in one. No, but they've some of the greatest yeah. places in, in that you will ever spend time in. You know, I mean, in the 80s, they were they were pretty raucous and yeah. pretty, you know, crazy, uh, and it was great fun, um, and everybody had a great time. And it's probably slightly less good, but but you how can you run an organisation that's about publications and about media and about communications without, without being there being in the same room with Absolutely. each other it's, it's an insanity it's it's, mad. but so these big companies are doing it because obviously they're saving money on rents and, yeah. and, and things like that but it, it is to the detriment of everything else it's 
it's to the detriment of the people they're not going in as well. Yeah. I know some people think, oh, it's great. I don't have to get on the tube and I don't have to go to work and whatever. But in the long run, they will yeah. suffer too. No, I walked through the, 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 the sort of the bottom level of Canary Wharf yesterday. You know, there's a waitress at one end and then there's a sort of, um, I can't remember what's at the other end, a, a, a restaurant. And an awful lot of it is just gone. It's shut. Yeah. yeah. The, the shop fronts that were open, which are now just covered over. But as it, it was a prime site for restaurants, I know. Yeah. Because we, we were looking with the real Greek uh, to go to Canary Wharf. And yeah. It was really difficult to try and get a site there. Yeah. And, and they were prime, prime um, rents, mm -hmm. prime places to be yeah. for restaurants. Because there was something like when I was working there back in 2005, there was about 80,000 people working there every day. Absolutely. Right? A lot of money changing hands. Yep. All people who were making pretty good, you know, Livings. pounds. Yep. And, you know, lots of, lots of people spending money, lots of people hanging around in the evenings. You know, it was really vibrant. Last night, it was like a dead zone. Yeah. And that's what lockdowns have done. Yeah. Lockdowns have yeah. done that. COVID didn't do that. COVID is a no. virus which is now endemic and it's kind of burning itself out. Right. But it, lockdowns did that. And do you know what I do now? Whenever I meet more and more people, they all say, oh, yeah, I had it. They've all had it. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> had it. Had and it. I'm like, Everyone's had it. but you're not dead, are you? No. And hardly any, you know, and I was talking to my sister who lives in America and they have exactly the same rate of death as we do. 0.2% of the population. 0.2. As Sunita Gupta said, and the people from the Great Barrington Declaration said, mm. this is a, a kind of, it's a tsunami. It's it's going to get who it's going to get. You can't lock and hide away from, it's not the bogeyman no. that's going to go away. You can't lock doors and hide away from it. Right. To, to a certain extent, the vaccine has helped with those are vulnerable and those are elderly. Yeah. But as they always said, there should have been herd immunity for the young. Most of the young have had it. So right. this is why I don't understand this persistent blackmail way of trying to get the young to get yeah. uh, vaccinated well, the latest, they just I'm sure don't need it. has riled you as much as it's riled me, Sajid Javid, uh, who's also found himself on the planks list this week, uh, urging parents to get their kids vaccinated because nobody's getting it done. Only 11% of children are now under, you know, under 15 have been vaccinated because nobody wants it. No, so he's they going, don't need it. Right, they do not need but it. But he's hinting that, well, if you don't do it, then, you know, they might not be able to continue with face-to-face -face schooling. Absolute rubbish. It's just this constant, utter, disgusting fear-mongering yeah. that we're getting, like you said, with the ports and everything, you know, that it's, that it is just, it's, a, it's keeping people in this constant state of fear where their anxiety is up, their adrenaline is up, and therefore you're just more malleable. You're more controllable when you're in a state of fear because right. you're, you're, and I know this, and I'm not a doctor, but I know that your hypothalamus then would always go for safety rather than happiness. Right. And because you keep people in a constant state of fear, they'll always go for safety. Right. So whatever someone's dangling in front of you as this is the safe thing to do, that's how they control you and that's how they make you do it. Well, you know, I'm standing here right now and telling you, you're not controlling me anymore. Yeah. I'm fed up with it. And mothers and parents across the board, I've ha we've had enough. Yeah. Our children need to go back to school. It's got nothing to do with being vaccinated. Again, this report, you know, doesn't even doesn't even talk about the fact that those like my children who are at state school mm. were completely let down by the education system. Now, my my brother's kids and other people I know who had private education while well, they were at it, they were yeah. zooming every day, six hours oh, a day, yeah. doing the right thing. My children were lucky to, to no, get on hold. No, the the first part of last year, when from sort of say March to the summer, you know, my kids didn't get given anything to Nothing. do. Yeah. The, the teachers were sort of like, well, you know, if you want to do some homework, you can. Oh, really? What, yeah. you think a 14-year-old's going to go, oh, yeah, I volunteered to do some homework? No. Well, when I asked our school why they weren't Zooming in like the private schools, said, they said it was health and safety. And I'm, I, I mean, are oh, you, have over. you, I mean, I just, I, I remember sending an email back saying, you have lost your minds or you think I'm an idiot. If, if that is the reason that you're giving, that you're not regularly Zooming in. How can it happen in private education? Their education continued yeah. and they progressed. And yet state school education, it did not continue. And it, it has had a massive drop of course down. It has. And lockdowns are to blame to that. And our government is to blame to that. Yeah. And we just, we're not having it anymore. I'm not having this dangle, right? You've right. got to do as I say. You've got to vaccinate your child, whether they need it or not, whether right. it may or may not do them harm. You've got to do it if you want them to be educated. Mm. Well, no. No. I, you know, I'm just not having it no, anymore. No, I'm with you. Absolutely right. And also, you think about our lives, and, you know, you and I have lived reasonably well and, and long, but somebody who's only 15, 
hasn't lived that long and so a year and a half out of their life is huge massive you know absolutely massive especially at these pivotal times you know when you're kind of just that getting into being a teenager 15 16 17 these are really kind of these are times that you mix with a lot of people mm. you kind of find out what your character is you know you probably have your first kiss during yeah. then or something like that and none of that happened none yeah. of that happened for our children no i mean i said to my 17 year old last summer i said go and hang around on the street corner and drink some cider <laughs> you know go have some fun <laughs> exactly. you know just get out but he, and, but he was kind of reticent because he hadn't been anywhere for a yeah. long time you and know? you know parents like us we we thankfully are not succumbing we haven't been pushed by the fear no. there are many parents though who are so frightened because as we said you know the propaganda that yeah. was done 330 million spent by the government mm. to make people frightened has had a huge effect on these parents so these parents are more fearful they're mm. giving that fear to their children and it's just continuing mm. whereas you know i'm like go on you know just get out get on with yeah. it because that's the kind of parent that you want to have as a yes, child. Absolutely. But as you say, there are so many who don't have that confidence even, or they yeah. don't have the ability to, to push back. Or but they've they, had a good job they're done not on them. Sure, yeah, they're not sure if they can. And, you know, some people also will tell them that they're terrible. I mean, I remember when um, they went back to primary school, I think, um, must have been, I guess, September of last year. And all the I just happened to drive past this primary school one day on chucking out time. And all the parents were standing in the playground waiting to pick up their kids with masks on insanity and you're going you're outside yeah and it turns out the school had asked them to do it again what right? rights do the school have to do this this is the other thing that yeah. we we're talking about you know there's a lot of uh, schools and councils council health officials who are taking it upon themselves to decree what goes on in schools at the moment some are talking about reintroducing masks or reintroducing bubbles or um, sending people home when they're not sick but this is local council area. They, they've become inflated by the power that they've been given mm. and it needs to be culled. Yes, it really does. Because this report also does not really properly represent the rest of the country. It represents no. people in the Westminster bubble yep. who have all had money all the way through, yep. who have all been paid, who probably didn't do very much because they were zoomed in whenever they felt like it. And it hasn't in any way encapsulated the feelings of the nation. Not at all. Because we know for a fact, I think it's, what is it, 70% of people actually continue to work. Yes. Not at home, but actually doing their proper job. And mainly serve. Yeah. Serve those people, those elitists. Yes. That stayed home and Zoomed right. and did things like that. So, those, you know, funny how, you know, COVID doesn't affect a, a delivery driver or a, you know, takeaway or driver a or a supermarket no, worker. No, I, I don't think there's, there's hardly any cases of people who were working in supermarkets getting COVID. Absolutely. Hardly any. None, none at all. And so then I heard, it. I don't know if you heard Vaughan Gethin, the Welsh uh, health guy, was on with Julie the other morning and she was saying, you know, please show me the evidence why you're introducing vaccine passports. He couldn't do it. Because there is no evidence. There is absolutely and no evidence. And you said, he said, well, we know that, um, you know, nightclubs are places where how? COVID spreads. And I'm how? going, well, hang on, they've all been shut. Yes, how start. do they know? How so, do they know so that? So how do you know that? And if somebody's vaccinated, you can't stop them spreading in any way. So what's the point? No, vaccine passports are the most horrific thing to come into play at the moment. And anybody who's playing that game mm. is going to regret it greatly yes not just for themselves but for their children and for the way this country is continuing vaccine passports are an anthema mm. and they must never ever be introduced and we must stand up as people you know this kind of lethargy that people have well it's all right oh my not might as well i've been back so i might as well it's got nothing to do with whether you've been back or you're not being back they must not come into play they are dangerous they are dictatorial and they will damage our society as we know and love to live it yes this must not happen it must not happen and it's for us and others and i think actually the, the children's vaccinations was the tipping point i mean laura doswell was here yesterday and we kind of thought and said at the same time people just said no that that's that's the that's line it. the yeah. line is now crossed yeah. and we're not going over it yeah and we're and actually not only we're not going over that children's line we're actually bringing it all the way back now all the way back you know we, we let you push and nudge us too far and now we're pulling it back. We've had enough. Yeah. We want to go back to pre-COVID times. That is the life that I cherished being a British person, mm. living in Great Britain. That's the life I cherish. And yes. I will not give an inch of it anymore. I am fed up of it. I've been, I'm fed of being bullied and pushed about and lied to. Yeah. Lies, the lies and the hypocrisy yeah. have sickened me to my stomach. Mm. And I'm ready I'm ready to take battle yeah. now. In a positive way. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not actually feeling... During lockdown, what was going on, I was very low. And you thinking, were. Gosh, what's going on? Yeah. And I, I felt, you know, I was having these kind of night tremors where I'd be walking around the house going, what's going on? What's mm. going on? I couldn't sleep. Yeah. It was really affecting me. But actually, I'm, I'm galvanised yes. now. 
this is what I will tolerate. I will not tolerate being bullied and pushed around. I will not tolerate you doing things to my children that I don't approve of. I will not tolerate vaccine passports. And I'm going to stand tall. I'm hoping that the nation, this fantastic nation that we live in, is going to join mm. me and just say that we are, we voted you in. Yes. We tell you what to exactly. do. Enough is enough. Exactly right. And you mentioned your mother earlier. Uh, she's in Cyprus, I she presume, is, still. Yes. How are things there? Because you were a bit <sighs> disappointed when you I went there, very, weren't you? I'm really, really disappointed in what's going on in Cyprus. Cyprus is a show-your-papers place. You can't go anywhere. They've bullied They've bullied the people so much because what they do is they fine them. So, you know, if I want to go into my friend's restaurant and, um, and not sh show my papers, as it were, he will get a substantial fine or she will get a substantial fine. So it's emotional black men as well. They're so frightened. They've lost so much money. They haven't had the tourism that they need to make them survive. Right. And so, and on top of that, they're getting these draconian fines for these from these mm. COVID marshals that are everywhere. Right. I mean, this whole thing about people spying on people mm. there's some stassy kind of nation way of living yeah. it's not how we, we we live here and it's not how the greeks live it's no. not how it's done but this no they're very tactile people the greeks so tactile right? absolutely you know it's it's the way we do things but you know i will have to um go over again and see if my parents are okay they're not in a good way and i have to go and see and check that they're all right yeah and i'd like to make a stand and say right i'm not going i don't agree with this but what can you do in well you have sense? to go i mean i'm gonna go see my mother at christmas by the looks of it now we're going to try and have a sort of big family reunion which would be fantastic Lovely. you know um and i'm hoping that by the time that comes there won't be any of this rubbish about testing this testing there won't that. be if we stand they up keep to doing it. away with the different you know suddenly now you don't have to quarantine if you're coming from a red this country well why why did you have to do it before power why is it why are we not doing it anymore control huh that's I mean, all it is. That's mad, all it, it is. That's all it is. And, every and single rule that is in that report and every single criticism of those rules is wrong because the rules should never have been there. Should never. And also still, look at the, what's going on now. You know, there are certain places that are, are, are mass mandating you again. Yeah. You know, and, and a little bit bully. Yeah. A little bit bully with the it way is. that they ask you. It is. Because I, I will now no longer say I'm exempt. No. I will not wear a mask. Right. I have read the science. That's it. I have had COVID. Yeah. I will not wear and a even, mask. Even Full the stop. scientists are saying there's no point. Absolutely no right. point at all. So what's what, so what's why, that all about? What but, is that about? I what's happening? It's I wish about I knew. power and control. That's yeah. all it is. I wish I knew. Um, we finished again. No way. I know. Had so much to talk about. Well, you want to mention anything quickly before before we start? I just wanted to mention a little bit about this black fishing thing. Okay. Um, with Jesse Nelson, that right. all the people that were coming out and and hashtag be kind to her when she talked about the fact that she was almost suicidal and she has such issues with her body confidence and and the way she looks mm. and all these people that came up and said you know her mental health is really important are the same people that are now saying that she's black fishing which is a new word i think I it's a new made it's a that? new made up word which means that if you're if you um try to uh, I've heard of cat fishing no this is black fishing right and what it means is so if you've got a tan and you plait your hair then right. you're culturally appropriating oh, somebody else's so. culture and in this video that she did with Nicki minaj you know she's got plaited hair and she's mm. quite tanned in it and they're saying that she's you know trying to pretend to be a black person which is and so it's a racist thing that she's doing now I've had enough of this yes, you know it's, mad, uh, it's, it? it's got to stop you know how you dress and what you do with your hair yeah. and whether you like a tan or don't like a tan has got nothing to do with racism no. and this whole kind of looking to be offended all the time yeah. is really again another thing that's very very bad for our kids mental health mm, absolutely it. they've got yeah. to stop it they have got to stop it we shouldn't be letting these people run our lives at all scientists just say no as Nancy Reagan used to say yeah. uh, Tony Buxton great to see you. Uh, I'll see you, see you a bit later on this afternoon, but we'll say nothing about that because that's a secret. <laughs> Mid morning with Mike Graham, Talk Radio. Now, we've been talking to Ben Habib for a very long time about Northern Ireland because ever since Brexit happened, uh, which was on the Jan January 31st of last year, seems a much longer time ago than that, doesn't it? We've still been struggling with the issue of Northern Ireland. Nobody's been quite sure exactly what to do. Uh, the sausage war started and finished pretty quickly. There's no real shortage of anything in Northern Ireland. Somehow, day-to-day -day living has been OK. There's been no particular tensions uh, in terms of the paramilitaries. There's been no particular bad things happening. But there has always been this kind of cloud slightly hanging over the horizon. Let's talk to Ben to see if he's in any way uplifted or perhaps even positive about what may happen. Ben, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. Now, I'm, uh, I've am i been railing against the doom mongers and the naysayers all morning, so I'm sort of hoping that you might be joining me in this, uh, this endeavour uh, and telling me that this finally is the EU doing the right thing. I am afraid I'm going to disappoint you, Mike. <laughs> I think 
What a show. I think Lord Frost, Lord Frost at last is saying the right thing. Yeah. He is saying that the ECJ has to be removed from the protocol. And actually in that one step, if he can stay firm on that one demand, if he can remove the ECJ from having supremacy over the protocol and therefore 800 laws and regulations in Northern Ireland, I think we would have won the battle of the protocol. But that is not what we're going to get from the EU today. What we're going to get from the EU today is actually an attempt to further further in, increase their influence over Northern Ireland. And they're going to do it effectively by gilding the lily, pretending that they're allowing more stuff into Northern Ireland from Great Britain, but actually capturing Northern Ireland by giving it representation, as, 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 as he's indicated they would, representation in the EU itself. Mm. And by doing that, they will justify the capture of Northern Ireland. That's what this is all about. Let's just get one thing straight. This is not about people in Northern Ireland starving. Mm. People in Northern Ireland will get their food. The question is, will they get their food from Great Britain, their medicines from Great Britain, or are they going to get their food and medicines from Ireland and the European Union? Mm. What the EU wants is to pivot Northern Ireland increasingly away from Great Britain looking south and looking towards the EU for its long-term future. And the game here is to take Northern Ireland over. It's to reunify the island of Ireland without a democratic vote, effectively punishing the United Kingdom for having the temerity to leave the European Union. Right. That's what this is all about. And the whole point, really, Ben, of leaving the European Union was so that we could not be punished by the European Union anymore because we were no longer, you know, part of their little game and part of their little world. So no matter what they threatened us with, actually, we would just go, well, thanks very much. We'll see you later. Well, I, um, that was the idea. <laughs> that was <laughs> the idea. Unfortunately, the devil is in the detail and the protocol effectively allowed the European Union to take over part of our country. That's what's happened. Right. And now we're tussling over Northern Ireland in a tug of war with the EU. And anything that comes out of the EU today is going to be designed to increase their influence over Northern Ireland, to turn Northern Ireland's head away from Great Britain, to turn businesses away from Great Britain and towards the EU. And the problem I would have thought for them doing that is that at the moment, if I'm not mistaken, most of the incoming sort of trade and most of the incoming food, certainly, and, 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 and goods and services is coming from the UK, isn't it? It is. I mean, the vast majority of trade for Northern Ireland, 65% of it or whatever, is with Great Britain. And um, But, you know, businesses won't wait around for our government to get its act together. Businesses in Northern Ireland will want to get on and be profitable. And so they will go to the nearest port at which they can get what they need. And if our government can't get a grip of this border down the Irish Sea, businesses in Northern Ireland will shift their supply chains. You know, it's no accident. People have talked a lot about Article 16. It's no accident that there are three reasons pursuant to which we as a country have the right to invoke Article 16 mm. and suspend the protocol. And those three reasons are societal damage to Northern Ireland, economic damage to Northern Ireland, but one very important third reason, and that is if supply chains for Northern Ireland begin to shift away from Great Britain. Mm. When that protocol was negotiated, our government could see that supply chains could be changed, it could, could vary, could be moved away from Great Britain to Northern uh, to Ireland. And the reason we fretted about it, and the reason it's in Article 16 as a right giving us the right to suspend the protocol is because it's through that, that shifting supply chain that they will economically capture Northern Ireland. Mm. Now, Lord Frost has repeatedly said that grounds already exist for invoking Article 16. Right. But basically, I Lord Frost has said, we have the right as a country to invoke it because Northern Ireland is being economically damaged by this arrangement, and yet we haven't invoked it. It's a gross dereliction of duty on the part of our ministers. And so their kind of suggestion or their insistence of keeping, you know, sort of legal links, if you like, with Northern Ireland so that the judges of the EU can still have jurisdiction over it. I mean, what does that actually mean in practice? In practice, that means that the laws and regulations of Northern Ireland are not the same as the United, as the rest of the United Kingdom. Right. Uh, British citizens in Northern Ireland 
do not answer up to the British Supreme Court. They answer up to the European Court of Justice and that effectively Northern Ireland is not part of the UK. Now, I don't want to be moved to hyperbole, but what's happened here is an annexation of Northern Ireland. It's the takeover of part of the United Kingdom by the European Union through the back door. Yes. And that can't be allowed, can it? It shouldn't be allowed. You know, we went to war over this kind of thing back in 1939. Mm, absolutely right. And I mean, in the meantime, I suppose you've also got the French who are rattling their sabres quite a lot, talking about the fishing wars and trying to get support from other countries in the EU uh, to somehow fight Britain over the over our reluctance to give them the rights to fish in our waters with lots of little boats. Yeah, and, you know, the French are a real problem at the moment. I think our relationship with France has never been brilliant, but it's at an all-time, I can't say an all-time low, we haven't, we haven't come to fisticuffs yet, but it, it is at a very low ebb. And think about our relationship with France for a second. This is a country that's taken £200 million off the UK in the last couple of years to try to curb its illegal immigrant flow to the UK and done nothing about it. Its police have stood by while thousands of illegal immigrants have crossed the uh, North Sea to enter our country. This is a country that actually has 800 of the 1,700 fishing licenses that have been issued to EU member states and is kicking up a real stink, threatening to cut electricity off to Jersey just because there's a dispute over 35 licenses. Let's get this into proportion. They have 800 fishing licenses that come into our territorial water with their massive boats, mm. take what they like, not checked by British Coast Guard or anything, take them, take it back to the, take it back to France. And yet here they are threatening to cut electricity off to Jersey because they, we won't grant them 35 licenses. Right. And, and what are they, are they paying for these licenses that they've got? No, they have a right to these licenses under the, un, under the terms of the trade and cooperation agreement. What these fishermen effectively have to do is to evidence that they used to fish in those waters before the United Kingdom left the EU. Mm. And there are 35 small boats which can't prove it. And so that's where the dispute is. But they've got 800 boats altogether, Mike, coming into right. our waters. And it's the big boats that come in, indiscriminately kill our fish. They have, I, I don't know if you know about the, the sort of the way they electrify fish in our waters, but they'll put an electrical charge down, which will kill everything in one square mile. They talk about the need to, uh, to, you know, to protect the environment. What do you think it does to the United Kingdom's biggest natural resource if you electrocute everything in one square mile? It's That's... an utter environmental yeah. disaster well it's horrendous i mean that and I've, i don't know if you've seen that uh, documentary sea spiracy which was put together and produced by or executive produced by del vince um it's extraordinary what is done to the sea you don't realize quite how big these factory boats are and not only do they dredge and or electrocute every single fish in the water but they they drag the net across the seabed which also completely destroys everything that is on the seabed absolutely it's gratuitous indiscriminate killing of, of, of the United Kingdom's greatest natural resource. So if the Prime Minister is so keen on net zero, can he get a grip of fishing? Because that's a natural resource which used to be in abundance and could be in abundance again if we just develop the courage to tell these French fishermen and other EU member states to get out of our water. Remember, Mike, we're talking about our territorial water. Exactly. And I don't know whether this is a bit of a stupid question, but why can't they just go a bit further south and start fishing in the Spanish waters? Is there no fish down there? Well, the, the, the British waters are the richest. That's why they're so keen on coming into our water. Yeah. But by the way, their, their plundering is not restricted to just British waters. They have done deals like this with African states where they have denuded the coast, uh, you know, the, the water off the coast mm. of a number of African states where they've just treated them with absolutely no respect, um, fishing them dry, if you like. No, the EU is a mercantilist trader. It doesn't want a level, all this nonsense about a level playing field is just that nonsense. Yeah. What they want is, and I'm going to use an evocative word again, forgive me, what they want to do is rape the, their counterparties in trade. That's how they see it. This isn't, a, this isn't about balanced trade with the EU. This is about the detriment of the United Kingdom for the benefit of the, e, of the European Union. And that applies to these African states as well. 
Absolutely right. And they are a sort of um, insatiable beast in that way, aren't they? They just need more and more and more. Because as they look around the EU, particularly to the east, where Poland have now had a ruling that their laws are actually more important than anything that comes out of Brussels, which is interesting. Um, you know, they've got quite a, a, a loose grip on quite a lot of that part of it, haven't they? They have. Well, I, I mean, again, if you, even within the EU, they've been feasting. Germany, if you like, is kind of feasted. Mm. On these peripheral countries, Poland, as it happens, has been a net beneficiary of EU funding. It, re- it receives about 100 billion a year. Uh, uh, it receives about 100 billion every seven years mm. in their seven-year multi-financial framework budget. But um, you know, if you look at the way trade balances uh, are spread across the European Union, Germany is by far the biggest exporter, and the importers are all the countries that are in financial trouble that we know about. You know, Portugal, Spain, Italy. Um, Greece, obviously, famously, but also France. Germany has sucked the lifeblood out of these countries. Mm. And Poland is well aware of what's gone on. And that's why the Polish courts are stamping their authority now. And remember, Poland is a country that spent 40 years behind the Iron Curtain. Mm. It knows what it likes to it, it knows what it's like to be a small cog yeah. in an otherwise uncaring supranational entity. Right. It will not allow that to happen to its own country again. Absolutely. And just to finish up on Lord Frost, what, what's the sort of time frame you're expecting, Ben, on this? Are you seeing something happening properly this week, you think? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. We were due to have our appeal. You, you know, we're running this judicial yeah. review of, of the protocol in the Irish courts. We were due to have an appeal on Monday. Mm. And the Irish appeals court deferred the hearing pending, I'm told, very odd, pending what emerges from the European Union this week. Oh, yeah. So clearly, the Irish courts are expecting something big. I think it will be big, but I don't think it's going to move the United Kingdom in the direction that any unionist would want. It's going to be a move towards nationalism within uh, Ireland. And um, uh, Lord Frost now needs to come up with a definitive timetable pursuant to which he will invoke Article 16. You know, the Prime Minister and Lord Frost have repeatedly said we won't hesitate to invoke Article 16. Uh All they've done is hesitate. All they've done is encourage the EU to believe that we don't have the courage ourselves to invoke that article. The best way to negotiate now, Mike, is invoke Article 16, suspend the protocol, and then have earnest discussions about how we get rid of the European Court of Justice and reclaim part of the United Kingdom. Yes, I think you're right. It just has to be done. We have to just take it rather than waiting for them uh, to give us a bit of it by by, by the looks of things. Ben, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Habib, businessman, chairman uh, of Brexit Watch, of course. Also a man who has a great deal of interest in the Northern Irish situation, not least because of a lawsuit that he filed uh, to try and make sure that the UK did not allow Northern Ireland to disappear off uh, into some kind of nether state of neither here nor there, which didn't really... uh, begin to cover what was supposed to happen uh, after January 31st, 2020, when we left the European Union. After all, you can't just leave Northern Ireland hanging. So now the time has come, as Ben says, probably to invoke uh, Article 16 and just take it all back. Simple as that. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.